going on, everybody? Welcome to Unexpected Points. Oh, hold on. Just realized my mic was not plugged in. Uh-oh. This we, we got major problems here. Hold on. Let me check to make sure my audio is going here. All right. It looks good. Can you all hear it? I hope so. Uh, let me know in the comments on YouTube if you cannot. Um, Thursday night football is over. I'll review that. I'll get to the Will Levis' stuff. Since obviously there's a lot going on with him. I had some takes on that, which Bears fans did not like. Eh, I mean, you know, I try not to respond to fans too much because they're literally insane. You know, there was like the Twinkie defense that they had. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. This is probably something where I'm, I'm dating myself as a boomer here. Um, but the defense was made that I can't remember. It was like eating a Twinkie, not having a Twinkie, some sort of like temporary insanity charge based upon the chemical imbalance in rush, <laughs> sugar rush, maybe. I, don't, I really don't remember the details. But the Twinkie defense was it. Um I think fans should almost have their own like insane fandom defense when it comes to these takes. It's like temporary insanity, except for it happens over and over and over and over again in regards to one particular team that they happen to be fans of. Um, and the funny thing is, right, when it comes to these things, that I mean, even I can have some temporary insanity when it comes to mostly to backing up my takes. Like if I have takes that are data informed takes, though, not just hot takes, but data informed takes, I might be skewed a little bit in how I interpret things, hoping that what has happened backs up the take, even though rationally, right, we're, we're flipping coins out here. We're trying to flip a weighted coin that's going to hit. 55, 60% of the time instead of 50% of the time. So, you know, you're going to be wrong sometimes. What, what your take is, is not going to come to fruition in the reality sometimes. So even I can go wrong. Even I can be temporarily insane there. But what's interesting is that there are many like data-based analysis type of guys who come from the perspective of fandom initially uh, for particular teams, mostly I'm talking about here. It's not like, you know, anyone's comes out the womb and is introduced to football. Maybe I should do this to my children, though. Um, not that they came not that they just came out the womb, but they don't really have a strong football fandom. So maybe I should get them hooked on being an analytical nerd with no uh, heart and soul and passion for any particular team. But most people, you know, are not born and, and raised on uh, Billy Bean and Moneyball before they become fans of a team. And then that fandom even translates to today when you see even numbers based people, you'll see people um, who will defend a particular team, a particular player. And I, I laugh at it a little bit because it's kind of like an obvious thing. And I think it's a little bit weird for a numbers based person to be doing it, but not that I'm immune myself from that sort of thing. Um, so anyway, I'm rooting for some of my takes when it comes to things that are that are happening right now, whether it be Will Levis will come up in the discussion a lot, but then also uh, some things that may be happening with with the Bears. I got sorry, Bears fans. I got to root against you getting a top two pick because, you know, my process in the offseason was consider taking a quarterback in one. Definitely consider taking a quarterback at where do they end up? Eleven. Maybe even consider trading up and getting a quarterback if you could in the early uh, second round, like the Titans did. 
And, you know, all of that was ignored at the time. And it's just assumed now at this point in the offseason that you're going to get one of those top two picks. I think the Bears currently own the number two and the number three pick to get either Caleb Williams or Drake May. I mean, we'll see what ends up happening, right? Um, But let me put it this way. It shouldn't be your master plan to be so bad in the second year of a head coach um, GM regime that you ensure getting a top two pick. Shouldn't Shouldn't be the plan. I mean, you can do things to hope you get a top two pick, but should not be the plan. So sorry, Bears fans. I got to root against that happening now as an example of why you take shots at quarterbacks when you can. Don't wait. Don't assume. Don't look to the future. Take those shots. And if it doesn't work out, yeah, move on. Lots of first round picks already look horrible this year from the 2023 draft, even though we all thought that they were going to be awesome. All right. Anyway, so the, the agenda will be Thursday night football. Then I'll talk Levis. I'll talk Raiders firings. I haven't done any of this. This is like the most impactful week for news. I think we've seen throughout the entire season. Uh, The Raiders firing thing. It's pretty hilarious that it came basically right as the trade deadline was expiring because like, again, these, these, um, these island games are rough, man. If you throw up a complete stinker in an island game, you know, the owner is watching. The owner knows that everyone else is watching and laughing at his team. Um, I don't know if these dudes are on X or on Elon's X. <laughs> I still can't stand saying X, but or on Elon's X. But trust me, you're, you're getting roasted on X. Um, that's worth about like eight times as much as getting blown out on a 1 p.m. Sunday game where you're packaged in with uh, eight or nine other games and no one's and no one's paying attention. No one's paying that much attention except for your fan base to your particular result. Um, so we, wait, we've got the Raiders stuff. We'll talk more about that. Um, what else do we have to happen this week? Trade deadline. Some stuff going on there. So, yeah, very impactful week. First, let's get to Thursday Night Football. Okay, I've been I've been going on for, for a long time here. First, let's get to Thursday Night Football, which will then lead into Levis' discussion. Um, for the first thing of the, new, of, of the week. Because I think it's interesting. Like, we're going to revisit some draft stuff, and everyone's going to claim, like, hindsight bias when talking about Levis. But, you know, I, I got plenty of receipts here where it's not like I have a specific Levis take. And if anyone's telling you, oh, I had the right Levis evaluation, you can kind of ignore them too. I don't really even care about the evaluation as much as I care about the process of just understanding positional value in quarterbacks and all that stuff. All right, but anyway, let's get to Thursday night. So Steelers-Titans, not a bad game. Uh, Levis being injected in there definitely helped improve things. Uh, I got Jalen Warren on the head the headshot here, the uh, – the head image for the article uh, we'll see later about how he was pretty effective in this game. Um, as far as the numbers are concerned, I mean, the adjusted score here, 24, 19 versus 20 to 16. So pretty close to what we ended up seeing in this one. Um, a five point differential versus a four point differential. The Titans, you know, they had a chance at the end there to get a touchdown where Levis got intercepted at the end, but Overall, they were the worst team if you look at all the different metrics. I mean, they were less efficient on a per-play basis when you just look at uh, expected points added. They were better penalties 
Now, I think we saw that in particular on the first drive where I think they converted three or four different first downs via penalty. So they're better on penalties. But other than that, the Steelers were much better on third down. Again, it's a, it's a convert or not league when it comes to third down. They were six of 12 on third down versus three of 13 for the Titans. And they were just more successful on a play-by-play basis, about a 50%, 49% success rate versus a 42% success rate for the Titans. Um, but the details of the game, both teams ran the ball well. The Steelers were much more like successful play in and play out running the ball, about a 45% success rate versus only a 40% success rate for the Titans. Um, but the Titans had some Derrick Henry runs which generated a lot of expected points although they weren't really long runs it was more of the short yardage conversion variety he had a fourth and one conversion that added 2.6 expected points and he had a third and goal touchdown that added 2.1 the one where he reached out the ball and, and then they got that touchdown there only a 37 percent success rate for henry on the other side Najee harris and, and jalen warren were both pretty good mostly warren though because he added uh, 2.5 expected points on only 11 carries, 55% success rate. I mean, another example of the almost infinite examples here of Jalen Warren versus first-round running back Najee Harris, who is better. And part of this is, I think, you know, we still have a little bit of a size bias when it comes to running backs. And I know that Jameer Gibbs went very, very early this year. So maybe the size bias isn't there, but there are just so many small ish sort of running backs. I mean, Warren's not that small. He's like 215 or something, but he's only 5'8. He's not Najee Harris. He's not like, you know, that sort of running back. But, you know, he played college football at Snow College, Utah State, and, and then, of course, Oklahoma State. So he went on some, to some better places. But I do think it's interesting that he was undrafted. So we got an undrafted free agent pretty much outperforming a first-round pick on a week-in and week-out basis. Another example, but then, you know, next year we'll have another generational talent at running back who needs to be taken in the first round, uh, the top of the first round. So that was really the thing here. Um, more successful, the Steelers passing the ball, but I'll get into that a bit. It was a lot of dink and dunk sort of stuff and yak sort of stuff um, outside of the last drive where the Steelers did kind of make some plays there to make it happen. For the most impactful plays of the game by expected points added, um, third and six, this conversion I was talking about with five minutes left, a 36 conversion, 32 yards from Pickett to Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson, I think, is going to make a big difference in this offense. Man, that dude just attracts targets you cannot he cannot be untargeted uh so that 32 yard gain that was not only was it at 3.3 expected points but a 20 percent win probability gain so a big big win probability gain there uh third and 13 conversion from levis to nick westbrook akine for 23 yards that was an awesome throw by levis if you remember that one he really had a dude like in his face and he was still able to fling it up find the guy and make that play there. And then as we go down the rest of the plays, obviously the interception at the end of the game, it's really tough to figure out the win probabilities in this circumstances, but the, uh, the NFL faster algorithm with 11 seconds left third and five on the 19 yard line had the win probability for the Titans at about 36, 37%. Obviously that goes down to zero with the interception there. Um, 
Okay, let's look. I have like the past charts up here for Levis and Pickett, which I think is interesting because first, maybe I'll just go to the numbers. If you look at the numbers, like Levis is basically flat in his EPA per play. He had a lot more plays, 47 dropbacks versus only 34 for Kenny Pickett. He was more accurate. It depends on which number you look at. If you look at just by air yards, because he had a 10-yard um, average depth of target versus only a 5-yard average depth of target for Kenny Pickett. So he was much more accurate, even though he had a lower completion percentage. If you look at the next-gen guys, they had Levis about 3% under expectation for completion percentage, but Kenny Pickett 9% under expectation. But the thing is, Pickett, the reason he had, he had better efficiency in this game, adding about a fifth of a point every single time, he dropped back the pass versus flat for Levis. I mean, one was the interception at the end for Levis, but the other thing is like zero negatives for Pickett in this game. So that Steelers offensive line or the maybe just a poor Titans defensive front, zero sacks. Um, and then zero interceptions, zero fumbles in this one. Levis had the interception at the end. He was also sacked four times. I would say, you know, one of them I definitely remember as probably being like he ate a sack that he didn't need to, that he could have gotten rid of the ball earlier, but he was under a lot of pressure. And he is a guy who tries to make plays. He is a guy throwing the ball down the field. He is someone as a senior in college was bad as far as sack rate and especially pressure to sack. So how many times he's taking sacks when he was pressured, but he wasn't as bad as a junior. And I'll talk more about that in my entire Will Levis uh, evaluation and, and going back in history there. And then also on this one, like Kenny Pick, which is heavily reliant upon Yak. Um, some of these air EPA and Yak EPA numbers are a little bit weird because the air EPA never looks very good unless you're throwing the ball way down the field. But if you look at the pass charts for these guys, Kenny Pickett was spamming short passes to the outside on both sides. And he had a couple of longer passes down the right side, but it was really all outside, all short passes. Remember, passes to the outside are less likely to be intercepted than passes in the middle of the field. So like entirely low risk. Very, very low risk passing attack there. Um, whereas Levis, his, his is just, he got dots all over the place. He's got dots in the middle of the field. He's got dots down the sideline. He's got some dots in the backfield. Obviously, they're running some screen stuff, but really a, a much more complete look as far as how he was passing the ball all over the place in this game. So I, I think it was like a good effort for Levis, who generally had bad pass protection, facing a good um, defensive line. And the Titans had, you know, multiple guys on their pass line go down in this game. So very, very, very impressive game from Will Levis. And again, it, it kind of goes to this discussion of, like, who, how do we think about rookies? I tend to be of the opinion that, like, what rookies do is discounted too much. Now, some guys can get way too excited about, like, non-quarterback rookies and what they do. All we have to do is look back to um like chase claypool <laughs> i would say chase claypool was megatron remember he was mapletron he was megatron after like two week week or two or a few games where he had all of these like stuff we can measure like high variance type of touchdowns and things like that that wasn't going to continue um so we could get a little too excited about those guys guys whose performance is just naturally more dependent upon circumstance and especially when it comes to scoring touchdowns that's going to be very very high variance there uh, but for quarterbacks, I think we kind of underreact. And as much as I love numbers, you know, 
it's important, of course, to have some contextual elements here, and especially when we're talking about Levis, because his first game he had, despite the four touchdowns, he only had slightly positive EPA. This one, he's basically flat, so he doesn't look fantastic by that. But when you think about, like, situationally, lots of times, whether it was Sam Darnold, whether it was, I don't know, Zach Wilson early in his career, whether it was Justin Fields, whether it was, I don't know, any number of quarterbacks who were highly touted prospects who did not perform well as rookies and even into their second year in the NFL. Um, lots of observers are willing to just give them a pass if they're not in a great situation. But the thing is, you don't just give someone a pass. It's not like a binary thing where you just say, let's say, because you're in a bad situation, we ignore everything that happens. And this is what I was saying when it came in regards to like Justin Fields, let's say. Yeah, Justin Fields is in a bad situation. At the same point in time, when you have efficiency that's like at the bottom of the NFL, only saved by the fact that Zach Wilson is also in the NFL, <laughs> it is even worse. Um, that's probably worrying, right? Even if you're in the worst situation, if you have the worst performance, that's probably bad. Okay? You can't just say you're in the worst situation, so you had the worst performance, so that means you're an average quarterback. No, that's just not how it works. Like, your ability to elevate or to mitigate some of the badness of your situation is factored in. It's a contextual element. It's part of the analysis. It doesn't just void the analysis. So when we look at Levis here, what we can say is, Pretty bad offensive line. Receivers, I know DeAndre Hopkins is out there looking like he's he's revitalized, but let's face it, you know, he wasn't exactly a hot commodity on the free agent market. Um, you know, I don't think he's necessarily still at that level that he was before or close to that level that he was before as a receiver. Traylon Burks, eh, I don't know. He hasn't really he hasn't really broken out. Uh, Nick Westbrook Akine. I mean, whatever. Uh, yeah, they got Derrick Henry. They can rely on the run, but, you know, I don't think it's like making things that much easier for Levis to make some of these plays. And the offensive line stinks. I think they stink. They're by the numbers, they're maybe in the bottom 10, according to Ben Baldwin's like composite pass protection numbers. But they also, you know, tough matchup last last night in particular and all the injuries they were suffering there. So we could say like Levis, like if Levis completely shit the bed now he's a he's an early second round pick not an early first round pick so people may not be willing to just completely give him a pass but that would be bad right if he did really really poorly despite the fact that you could say if you wanted to be like a hopium titans fan you could say well he's in a really really bad situation i mean Tannehill was awful hit by hit by the numbers when he played earlier this year in this really really bad situation he's pretty bad last year in a bad situation um, and it's kind of continued on this year. But the fact that Levis is like putting up averageish sort of numbers with lots of flashes, right? But the flashing thing can be a little bit deceptive because, you know, you find one or two flashes. Everyone flashes, except for maybe Kenny Pickett. Everyone flashes a little bit, right? Um, well, Kenny Pickett flashes too. I'm sorry, Steelers fans. Uh, but, you know, he has not only the flashes, but he has like league averages sort of numbers in a bad situation like that's important contextual element and makes us pretty happy about levis and to, to go to my larger like levis discussion that i want to have here 
and you know this is everyone's going to claim this is like hindsight bias but again this is one of the things i'm pounding the table for all offseason during draft season is these quarterbacks are totally undervalued in the draft people like to say quarterbacks are overvalued in the draft because they're too focused on success rate right they think to themselves this edge rusher who looks fantastic like I cannot see any reason he would fail in the NFL because they look so, so good in college. Whereas quarterbacks in college, you know, they can be up and down. Even good quarterbacks, even great quarterbacks when they come to the NFL. I mean, think about the top quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Patrick Mahomes didn't even have a winning record in college. Definitely up and down. Was seen as being a second round pick who flew up. The boards eventually ends up going 10th overall, but it's not like there weren't a ton of teams who passed on him who could have used some quarterback play. The Jets passed on him. The Jags passed on him. A bunch of teams passed on him uh, in order to take other players. And this is back in the Blake Bortles era for the Jags that they that they passed on him there. Um, Josh Allen. Obviously, Josh Allen majorly up and down. Did go 7th overall. Uh, probably the one guy that I was pretty wrong on at the time that I really thought that he was not going to be successful. And, and in some ways, it's not that, you know, by any means, anyone who was doubtful of Josh Allen was proven right. But he did have the most interesting career arc as far as really kind of struggling those first two seasons before breaking out in the third season, which doesn't happen that often. So in some ways, there were some more hints maybe with him that, like, if he goes into a different situation, I could see the lack of early success really affecting his, his career arc. But now I have him locked in pretty solidly as the second-best quarterback in the NFL. Justin Herbert. Uh, where did he go? Sixth overall, I think, was his pick. People hated that pick. Even PFF. PFF, huge whiff by PFF on this one. Uh, believing in their own kind of, like, grading and charting a little bit too much as opposed to sticking to positional value is where they should have been uh graded as an f by pff that pick a bunch of people said it was horrible a bunch of people who are herbert stands now uh said he just couldn't play and he stinks and he wasn't going to be good so like we're talking about maybe the top three young quarterbacks in the nfl right uh you could throw joe burrow in there i mean lamar jackson he wasn't drafted until the very very end of the first round I mean, a lot of guys with question marks coming out of out of college. So this idea that like the pristine non-quarterback pick just feels better to a lot of people. And people still believe that quarterbacks are taken. Some people believe quarterbacks are taken too early because of the low success rate. Just are totally missing the game here. The game is to win. The game is to score points. The game is to have great play at the most valuable position, whether or not it's taking you multiple first round picks to get there or not. You know, the game isn't hit on every single first round pick by going for the highest success rate players like running backs and others. I mean, even when we talk about edge rushers, right? Chase Young getting traded earlier this week for a third round pick. You might think like Chase Young was probably seen as being as much of a slam dunk of a non-quarterback high value position pick as there could be. Now, Joe Burrow went number one because in that draft, but I, mean, I don't know, whatever. If you want to compare him to Miles Garrett, you compare him to Miles Garrett. I think there were more questions about Miles Garrett coming out. If you want to compare him to Nick Bosa, you compare him to Nick Bosa. I think 
Chase Young might have been even better, at least by PFF grading and things like that. He was the number one guy for over Garrett, over Bosa of the recent guys, right? So even then, it's possible for these guys to bust. It's not a sure thing. So like we need to realize a lower value position still has, has a higher chance of busting than we think. And then the chance of busting for quarterbacks, people probably are right on average, but they they don't realize how high variance it is on any particular pick. Like the the the, the probability of Will Levis busting also includes in that a distribution as part of his range of outcomes where he becomes the next young, hot, elite quarterback in the league and his value just skyrockets through the roof, right? Like the distribution doesn't shrink for Will Levis. The distribution for Will Levis's upside isn't that different than Bryce Young or um, CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson because he went later, especially considering like the tools that we're talking about for, for a player like him. And, you know, I'll go back to, again, we're, we're going to play, we're not, we're not going to do all hindsight here because everyone thinks it's hindsight. So I'll go back to what I did in the off season when we're talking about this. And because I made this comment about like how many teams would now trade in their, their, their first round pick that they made on a non-quarterback and draft Will Levis now in the first round who didn't do it before. I think it's a lot of teams would do it. But not just because of Will Levis. That's an important point. It's not just because of Will Levis. Teams are also highly, highly, highly overconfident about whoever they have coming into the season. Fans, so much hopium in the in the offseason. Jordan Love. Whenever I would say about Jordan Love or Desmond Ritter or even Sam Howell, though I don't know if fans were as high on Sam Howell as they were on those other two, um, what I would say like, hey, you know, the most likely outcome is these guys aren't good. Teams, fans would be so upset. They'd be like, no, the coaching staff loves them. Do you not know? You don't know anything. The coaching staff has been working with them. Did you not see that one game they had last year or whatever? Even though I think Ritter was kind of trash in most of his games last year. Um, I understand this is like most third round quarterbacks like Ritter don't do well in the NFL, but do you not watch Desmond Ritter? So it's like, like their guy is always different in their heads, right? So you have twofold factor that happens in here. All these guys have quarterbacks who they're hoping on, who are who are low probability hit quarterbacks. They're going into the season as if they're going to hit. And then they all bust, or a lot of them bust, you know, four out of five bust, two out of three bust, whatever the percentage is. Now they're left holding a bag of, of poop, basically, at quarterback. And they're like, man, we, we could have drafted somebody. And we're less than halfway through the season and we're like scrambling at quarterback already. But you should have known that. Like you should know that going into the season that your guy is not going to be that good. Likely. And that's why you take chances. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. That's fine. Uh, but anyway, going back to this this uh, piece that I wrote in the offseason, which I thought was one of my, I'm going to toot my own horn here. I thought was one of my better pieces, which was building a more useful NFL draft big board. Now these big boards suck. Most NFL draft big boards suck. I put I got Hendon Hooker on here. I wish I had Will Levis in reverse, but anyway. Uh, but still, it's, a, it's still part of the same overall theme of quarterbacks being taken early. So most of these draft, mostly draft big boards suck because they don't really encapsulate. I don't know what. Maybe it's success rate they're they're focused on. Who's the best player? Best quote unquote best which is a meaningless distinction if we're not talking about like positional value, right? And 
um, grading based upon whether they are like an all star, an all pro, a pro bowler, a likely starter, so on and so forth. Again, kind of like ignoring positional value. Now, you look at the positional value curves by draft pick. I mean, quarterback is way above any anything else. You have another tier of what I call like the high value non quarterbacks, which which are offensive tackle. Um, edge rusher, interior defensive line, interior defensive line, because you're getting a lot of pass rush now from those interior defensive linemen. Then you go further down and it's like cornerback, wide receiver, maybe. Then you start to get into interior offensive line, off ball linebacker, running back, tight end, safety. Tight end's a weird one because like there's so few tight ends, you can get a lot of value. But the problem is there's just been like mid round tight ends that have done so well. Um, mid to late round tight ends, like Kelsey was a third rounder. Uh, Kittle was a fifth rounder that it ends up kind of skewing the numbers, but that's basically the gist of things. So what I decided was I would take the grading from sports info solutions, which kind of tells you like how good of a player they will be at their respective position. And that's how they have their rank ordering. And that's how a lot of people rank order grades. You know, they'll say that Will Anderson, for instance, was the number one player last year because we have him with the highest grade, even though there are quarterbacks that everyone's taking. Um, and then I said, you know what, let's apply this to how much surplus value you can get from these positions because of how valuable they are. Let's just look at how much money they're making in the NFL. It's like, let's look at how much an average quarterback is making in the NFL. So if you're projecting this guy to be an average quarterback, I'll say, okay, how much value are you getting versus what their contract costs you as a rookie? And then let's rank them by that instead. So you, the major shifts are, of course, a quarterback. You know, by, you know, Bryce Young was ranked number one here and CJ Stroud number two. They ended up going one and two. Uh, they were four and five, according to like the traditional big board. You see a lot of people when they're big boards, they would not have Young and Stroud at number one and number two, even though they're the number one and number two pick. It's again, silliness. Um, I had Anthony Richardson at number three. Now, according to the SIS grading, he was all the way down at number 32. Obviously, others had him higher. Obviously, he went, you know, fourth in the NFL draft. So take that for what it is. But then even with lower ratings for Levis and for Hendon Hooker, I still put them at four and five. Now, Hooker, he was injured. He had some other stuff going on. He's an older prospect. Like, I don't really put him on the same level as Levis. But I was using the, the SIS grading. I would have had him at a lower grade probably, but I was using the SAS grading. But I do think for Levis, like, okay, he was 33rd on their traditional big board. I had him as fourth overall. This is not hindsight bias. Like I'm putting him above guys who are graded as quote unquote solid starters at other positions. Even if he's seen as being a low end starting quarterback, because guess what? There's a big range of outcomes. Even if your most likely outcome is a low end starting quarterback, you have a piece of that distribution, which is an elite quarterback, and that just blows away the value at these other positions, even the high value, like even the, the great edge rushers or interior defensive linemen. I mean, yeah, there's an Aaron Donald who comes out every now and again, but you know, th that's like seriously a unicorn versus quarterbacks who can, who can perform well. So I've been saying this whole, this whole Will Levis thing for a while. I've been talking about the Bears needing to look at drafting a quarterback. I've been doing all these things for a while. This is not hindsight bias with Levis. It's a combination of Levis is like, look, guys can look good. Guys can play. Even if we're not confident of them, we need to realize that, number one. And number two, the quarterback options you think you have going to the season are probably not as good as you think. And that's the whole Will Levis discussion. I mean, we'll see how he performs going forward. Everything could fall apart. 
all this sort of stuff. But it's just amazing to me when we think about like value appreciation, even if Will Anderson was playing really, really, really well this year, the amount that he would go up versus what he was valued as the number, as let's say the traditional big board, number one player, the number three pick in the actual NFL draft, the amount that he will go up versus if Will Levis strings together a couple of other good games, all of a sudden Will Levis is looking like he should have been the number one pick overall after being in the beginning of the second round. No other position is really going to do that a few games into the first year. I mean, I remember Patrick Mahomes did not play a single game as a rookie, but there was all this. Well, she did. Excuse me. He played the last week and he looked okay um, because Kansas City had the um, had the playoff spot tied up. But there was all this positive buzz about him. And it was almost like going into a second year, he had a really, really high value attached to him, despite the fact of not even playing that much because of all the positive buzz around it, because of the fact they were willing to trade away Alex Smith. Um, and I'm not saying he was worth as much as Miles Garrett, who was the number one pick necessarily, but I don't know, man. It might have been close, even though Miles Garrett looked pretty good as a rookie. He had some injuries, but he looked pretty good as a rookie. So... Like, why do we just keep fooling ourselves every single draft into not realizing how much these guys can jump up in value? Like, why would you not want to have that sort of, like, weighted lottery ticket? Okay, you're trying to hit the hit the jackpot in the NFL and win championships. You're not trying to just muddle by and say, we're going to throw Desmond Ritter out there and hope that he's an average quarterback and we built all these things around him. Like, why? Uh, makes absolutely no sense. All right, let's get to some other uh, news stuff from the week. So I guess trade deadline was that first. Um, I will start. I want to make sure I don't miss any of the big here. Um, trade deadline. Right, so I guess the big one would have been like Montez Sweat, right? Going over to the Bears. Eh, I don't know what's going on here. I, I mean, I've seen takes in either direction on this one. But I'm just trying to think about this. Okay, let's think about this from a like scenario perspective, like why you're doing this. So again, just to say, so it's like a second round pick, basically, right? That they're trading. So that means a high value second round pick. That means according to like the surplus value sorts of ways of looking at player value, in other words, the value they have over their contracts and the contracts are really, really, really cheap for rookies at the beginning of the second round. And you can still get some good players, non-quarterback mostly, mostly like, like uh, good wide receivers, good cornerbacks, good interior offensive linemen in that sort of range. Um, so like that's a high value pick if you already have a quarterback. Now the, you know, the commanders don't, but anyway. It's a high-value high pick either way. Uh, high-value pick for the for the Bears because, you know, presumably they're going to hope to use one of those two first-round picks on a quarterback this year. Like, what, so so why, what's what's worth this to you? Sweat, I believe, is was going to be a free agent in the offseason anyway. Or, I mean, at the very worst, he would have been franchise-tagged. And then, right, he would have been, let me see. Had he been franchise tagged already? He hadn't, right? He was he was coming up at the end of his contract. Um, yeah, so he was on his he was on his rookie deal. Um, 
So maybe they could have tried to tag and trade him at the end of this. He was in his um, his fifth year option. So, like he, but a tag and trade, like what would they have gotten on a tag and trade for him? I don't know. I don't think you're getting a second round pick necessarily. Uh, but anyway, like that option was still available to the Bears in the worst case scenario, or the not the worst case, but in the scenario where they t- want to tag and trade him. Like trading a second round pick at that point was still available to you. Knowing all you know then, um, not improving your record this season because you don't want a better record this season probably at this point. I know I'm not exactly like Mr. Tank versus some others, but hey, let's not improve that record too much this season. So, you know, worst case scenario, if there's tag and trade, you do that again. Now, better case scenario is they don't tag them or they tag and trade them, you get them for cheaper. So that's also good. Or because I don't think you're paying more than a second round pick for the tag and trade scenario. Or you, he becomes a free agent. And you have a ton, a ton, a ton of money. So you're essentially paying for the right to not have him be traded somewhere else, I guess, for a third round pick. So there's that at this point. So you're trading for that not to happen. And him not, so then he won't be available next season. You're also trading because you're saying in free agency, he's not going to come to us, to our team. So, I mean, that's not great, right? You're kind of like holding him hostage a little bit and then trying to resign him. Now, that's been done before for other players. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but, um, you know, Sweat is by no means like has to resign with the Bears. The Bears will say, we'll franchise tag you, of course. And that'll be their leverage, but you know maybe he'll say, "Fine, franchise tag, uh, do it," and then that whole thing will play out going forward. Um, so you're kind of giving up a second round pick just for the fact that you know that he's not going to sign with you in the next off season, or the fact that someone else will give up a pick that's a similar quality. I don't know, man. It's a lot. It's a lot to give up. Um, and I know you got tons and tons and tons of money at this point to spend. But ideally, you want to be stacking pieces at a value that you can then build around the quarterback. Um, but the, the the upside for the Bears, and Bears are in a unique situation where like they don't have a quarterback who they're about to pay a bunch of money to. Sure doesn't look like that. So they're always going to have that, that quarterback situation. So I guess it's not god-awful for this one, but I'll say bad. Chase Young seems like a fine deal for both sides. Not really, you know... I don't have a lot to say in either direction for for that one. I do think it's a little bit interesting that the commanders without having to pay a big quarterback contract are still like such sellers in this market. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, Leonard Williams to Seattle for a second and fifth round pick. I mean, this might have been the worst one, in my opinion, because, again, well, if Seattle wins the championship this year, you guys can all dunk on me. Um, That's fine. But... We're talking about a dude who's like 29 years old right now. So like prime years left. I'm not even sure what prime years are left. Um, high, high-end player when motivated. and But I think Seattle's really falling into this one player away um, fallacy. And at five and two, this is their chance. I get it. But a second and a fifth for a player who went for a third and fifth. He was traded for a third and fifth to the Giants, from the Jets, 
where he was 25 years old, so had like a substantial piece of his prime still left at that point. Um, yeah. And he's making a ton of money right now. I mean, I guess they're eating some of that, I think. But still, that's, that's a rough one. That's a rough one for Seattle. You better win this year because we're talking about a 29-year-old. This year or next year is really it. That's for that sort of window. I guess Pete Carroll is like, what, like 80 years old or whatever. So maybe that's part of it too. But I would maybe give that one the worst grade of all of the trades there. But again, even the ones with horrible grades, they can work out. You know, the Vaughn Miller deal worked out, right? They got him for half a year. And sure, if the Matthew Stafford interception isn't dropped by the 49ers, then it's all for naught. But it wasn't. It was dropped by the 49ers. So they went on, they win the championship. Although I do think Vaughn Miller is like on a different level of a player. Obviously, I mean, he's like a Hall of Famer versus uh, versus Leonard Williams. Um, okay, is that there? And then let's get to Raiders talk before we get to um, what may be going on the rest of week nine. So Raiders, obviously, McDaniel gone, uh, Ziegler, Ziegler, right? Uh, pronunciations are not my uh, strong point. Ziegler, he gone. Jimmy Garoppolo, he may be, he, he, he on the sideline. Um I mean, interesting thoughts on this one. Again, I mentioned before the Island game phenomenon. Yeah, like <laughs> that kind of got them. Not that they deserve to stay. I mean, they're, they stink. But like they were making all these bad moves that everyone knew at the time, these kind of win now sort of moves. The Devontae Adams trade was bad. Uh, Derek Carr, they extended him, but they were kind of in a, in a, in a pickle with Carr. Uh, Garoppolo, I actually don't even know if Garoppolo was that bad or not. Like what were they going to do this season otherwise? Um, you know, I'm a Jimmy G truther. So, um, like Jimmy G had a God awful game though on Monday night, he basically went from being like an average sort of quarterback, despite a very elevated interception rate to dropping down into the bottom 10 quarterbacks or bottom five, maybe on the season in efficiency because of that one bad game, he was pressured on 75% of dropbacks. So wasn't, wasn't a great situation for him there. Um, but you know, even at this point, the Raiders are three and five. They're facing the Giants and the Jets in the next two games. Like, there's some scenario under which they're able to win those games. It'd be five and five. I mean, they still got basically very, very, very tiny chance of making the playoffs. But, you know, like, at what point in the season are we just saying, hey, we're playing for 2024 for a team that's probably not going to get a top two pick and get a quarterback, get a great quarterback prospect? At what point are we, like, tanking so far? We got 10 months before we're going to have football meaningful football in 2024 are we really just throwing everything away at this point um there's like a sunk cost to a lot of to, to some of this stuff that we have to recognize and the idea that like you're afraid jimmy g is going to get injured and then you'll owe him a bigger bonus of 11 million i mean whatever it's 11 million dollars it's not the end of the world this is not a Derek carr situation where he was getting benched for the last two games of the season not you know midway through the season and if he got injured they could have been on the hook for like 30 something million in guarantees for this season and an additional 10 million in guarantees for next season. So that would have been, a, that would have been a world of pain. Um, the Raiders are on the hook for 11 and a quarter million in guarantees for next season, no matter what happens, it just would be an additional 11 and a quarter. So I don't know. I mean, whatever it was, a, it was an awful era there for, for McDaniel. I keep on saying McDaniel. Now that we have another guy who's a, who's a McDaniel McDaniels, um, not that much else to say about it other than 
seems like a little bit of emotional reaction. Make these decisions in the offseason. Don't hire these guys in the first place. Push back on these moves when they're making them, when they happen, rather than now all looking back and blowing everything up and saying, okay, Raiders fans, get ready for uh, September you know, 14th, 2024. That's your next time of meaningful football that you're going to be playing for this team. Uh, I mean, I guess you have the offseason hopium and everything else that comes with draft picks and, and stuff like that. But pretty, pretty, pretty poor situation there. Um, okay, let's get into what's going on next week. Then I'll look through some of the comments in this uh, for the YouTube channel. Not next week. Sorry. What's going on Sunday and Monday? Then I'll get into the comments of the YouTube and um, take any questions. If you have any questions, go ahead and drop them in there. Okay, so I ran my adjusted numbers versus the spread. Add a little bit of juice there for home field advantage and, and whatnot. And what do we got? Okay, we had nothing for for last night, so that that's good. Uh, we have KC as the the putative home team. Obviously, this is in uh, Berlin, Munich. I don't remember where it is. It's in Germany somewhere. Um, I have this being about even. They it looks like they're a two point favorite. That's interesting that it's that it's pretty tight on a neutral field. That kind of shows you how the market is getting a little more skeptical of Kansas City, just like I am. I think I'm fourth in my power rankings. Um, Atlanta, Minnesota. I mean, I was kind of throwing a dart as far as what we think about the Vikings and their rating. Atlanta's a four point favorite with Taylor Heineke versus, I don't know, Hall, I guess. I don't know. Dobbs is not going to start, is he? Um, so I, whatever. I don't have a play on that one, so it doesn't really matter. Baltimore, Seattle. It's funny. I kind of feel like Seattle and Baltimore are a little bit overrated at this point, but. Baltimore is the more overrated team, according to my numbers. They are six-point favorites at home. Uh, it is a decent bit of travel there for our Seahawks coming from uh, Seattle all the way out to the East Coast for for the game. Um, I have this line as being more like Baltimore should be, I don't know, three-point favorites. So getting up to six is pretty good. Let's make, Let me just make sure on the numbers here that you're actually able to get six, and it's not like one of those situations where you're paying a – huge premium in order to get six now it looks like it is six right now that you can get some places at least so i don't know it seems like a good number for seattle but i'm not even that high on seattle i'm just lower on the ravens than a lot of people still continue to be sorry uh flock nation or whatever you guys call each other uh ravens fans call each other um i like la versus green bay Green Bay is a three-point favorite at home versus the Rams. Let's look at the numbers. Yeah, that looks about right. Is Matthew Stafford not playing or something? What's going on here? Sure, that that would matter. Um, He is missing practice. Doesn't practice with an injured thumb. Okay, well, wait on that then. Um, What else we got here? Cincinnati Buffalo. You know, I'm a huge Bills stan here versus others. I mean, it's only a two-point spread, so it's a little bit deceptive as far as how much Cincinnati is favored by in this game. But I don't know. I'm still a little skeptical on the Bengals. I know they had the good performance, but I don't think it's like that should be your default is what they did in San Francisco going forward. We kind of had a false start with an okay performance against um, the Cardinals. A couple of weeks earlier. So there's a little bit more fits and starts. I still, I mean, Buffalo 
Josh Allen has the highest efficiency in the NFL right now for any quarterback. I think things will get a bit better. We'll see the defense. Yeah, the defense is struggling a little bit, but we'll see on that one. Um, I have this more like Buffalo should be favored versus Cincinnati in this game. It is between the threes, so it's probably overstating how much of a difference my numbers have versus the betting line. But yeah, I don't know. I guess that would be a money line. This is more of a money line situation than a um, what's the money line here? So the money line you can get the bills at, huh? It's interesting. The bills minus one Oh five. That is actually, Oh yeah. I guess that that makes some sense. Let me see. What's the best you can get for the bills. Um, plus one ten is the best that you can get. So I don't know, but a little bit better than, than, than even money coming back to you. I, I would take that. I would take that for the bills there. I like that one. Um, other games that it might be of interest this week. I think Jets Chargers is pretty interesting. Like my numbers kind of like the Jets a little bit here, but man, it's rough. It's a rough watch for Zach Wilson. So I'm not sure what to do. Like if you don't get that one Brees Hall, like 50 yard explosive play, it's a rough watch. So I would, I would, I would skip out on that one and other like really important games here. If New Orleans can win. I think that's kind of important. That's an interesting one. Carolina, I'm interested to see what Bryce Young is going to do in this one. If he can kind of stack a couple of good games, need to take fewer sacks, though, in this one. Um, Cleveland, they, like, need this win to keep things going. We'll see. I guess Deshaun Watson is still a little bit out. And then, you know, big, big game here of Philly versus Dallas. That's, like, a monster game. People love the those the NFC East. It's a three-point line. I have it. It should be about three and a half. Well, less than between three and three and a half. So almost exactly in line with what they have here. Nothing that critical to say about this one. Two teams that are in really good form, though. Um, And this is highly impactful when we're talking about things like Super Bowl odds. Much more than you would necessarily expect in a game here because you have same conference, right? Same division, you do have a, I guess, one and a half point, one and a half game lead for the Eagles here. So if the Cowboys could win this, the Cowboys will go to six and two. The Eagles will be seven and two. The Cowboys will have at least the first half of the head to head. They'll do it on the road. So I think that's a big one, right? Um, and then that'll also set up a home game, a primetime game, December 10th. So if the Cowboys can win this one, then they have the Giants, the Panthers, the Commanders in a row there. That's pretty sweet. Uh, Seahawks, not that great. And then the Eagles match up. Then the Bills, that's tough. Then the Dolphins, that's tough. Then the Lions, that's tough. And then the Commanders again. So eh, they don't have the easiest schedule. This is not like the AFC East schedules from last year. Um, Whereas if we go to the Eagles and what else they have this year, so the Eagles could have a, the Eagles got the gauntlet coming up right here. So this is why this is big for the Cowboys. Like the Cowboys, if they win this game, you might almost I wouldn't be against them projecting them to to win the division. And if you win the division, you get that number one seed potentially in the NFC, which is pretty weak. I mean, these are big, big, big implications for Super Bowl odds because if you look at the Eagles, they got the Cowboys obviously in this game. Then they got the Chiefs. 
the Bills, the 49ers. They're basically playing all the top power-ranked teams here. Um, the Cowboys again. Then the Seahawks. Then they finish out the schedule pretty easy. But things could look somewhat dire because they finish with the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Giants again. But things could look pretty bad for the Eagles at that point. This is like a hugely important game, I think, for them uh, to lock down in this one. All right, let me look at some comments here, and then I can get out of here. If you have any more comments, go ahead, drop them in the channel here. Um, let me see. Caleb here says, is there such a thing as an EPA, EPAOE? like a CPOE. I assume EPA uses league average success rates given input conditions. Yeah. I mean, it kind of is like a above expectation built into it um, for EPA. It's, it's your expected points before the play, which is based upon league averages of down distance, uh, field position, time remaining, all that sort of stuff. And then it's your expected points after based upon a new set of conditions. And it's a subtraction there. So yeah. So every, so your EPA, the A in the EPA is added. So you're adding on top of the expected. So it kind of is like an OE, but it's an A. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's the E. It also has the expected. So you throw the E in the front, you throw the A at the end rather than the OE at the end. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty similar. Um, last, last question here. Those very high seconds have more surplus value than low first rounders too, right? Yeah, they actually do because there's a step down in money um like okay you lose the fifth year option i think the fifth year option is a little bit over hyped as far as its value especially when you have when it becomes fully guaranteed now um where if you look at the okay here we go if you look at the salaries and it's always amazing like to see how much they step down like how quickly it goes down in the NFL draft here, I'll even bring it up for you guys who are, who are watching on here, like how quickly it goes down, not just this like second round sort of thing. Um, so the biggest salaries, the NFL draft, like, look at how huge it is. So this is a four year contract though. Let's get this right. Right. 41 million for the number one pick you get down to the number 10 pick. It's already down to 22 million. So it's almost cut in half just going from number one to number 10. But then as you go further and further down, Oh sh Oh, shit, this thing only goes to 31st. So it's 12.75, but I'll just tell you that what happens is 12.75, still really, really cheap though at the end of the first round. But then once you get into the second round, and remember this year there was only 31 picks because the Dolphins lost their pick and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it drops down, I think, to 10 straight, 10 even after that. So there's like a, rather than it going down by 0.3 million or 300,000 um from pick 30 to 30, 31, when it goes down to pick 32, then it drops down by like 2 million. So that's why those picks at the top of the second round, you have that step down. That's why you get a step up in surplus value because, you know, there, there's not like going from the 32nd best player, or the 33rd best player versus the 32nd or 31st best player, pretty similar. Um, but you get a larger than usual step down in value. So yeah, those, those early second round picks are pretty huge. And let's, let's face it, like teams like the Patriots were just living on those things. That's part of like the, the loser's curse sort of deal. The Patriots and teams that are really, really good, they could just trade out at the end of the first round, stay in the early second round, get those desperate teams who stink, who are, who are picking at the beginning of the second round to move up, get their future picks, which are probably going to be pretty good, 
because they stink. These teams stink. <laughs> and you're getting an early second round pick, which is just as high of a value as your late first round pick. It was just boom, boom, boom. Losers curse how you stay ahead. Um, as long as you have the right quarterback, if you have one of those late first round picks. All right, anybody, everybody, and anybody, anybody, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'll be back at you Monday morning for the wrap up. Of course, unexpected points. I don't shill unexpected points enough. Go on there. Go to the website. Subscribe. Throw some shekels in my direction. I could use it. Um, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Otherwise, I'll be talking. Next.